Hi, welcome to the Refuge House broadcast. We are so glad that you decided to join us today. Here at the Refuge House, we help people discover their God-given uniqueness through the teaching of God's word so that they can be empowered to make a difference and impact the world for Christ. So here's what you need to do. We need you to grab your Bible, your notebook, your pens, and then get ready for a powerful message and see what God is going to do. I believe there are people in your life that probably need this message. So go ahead and share this to them and invite them to be a part of what God is doing today. Thank you and enjoy this week's message. Praise and the glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Can you, can you open your mouth and just give him praise? The Bible says, unto you shall the gathering of your people be. We've not gathered unto any man. We've gathered to him and him alone. He's Lord of Lords. He's King of Kings. Is the Lord of glory. Let's, let's lift up our hands and bless the name of the Lord. Spirit of the living God, we worship him. Just worship him. Thank him for what he did in your life this past week. And thank him for what will unfold in your life this week. Come on, give him praise. Give him praise. Father, we bless your name. Thank you, precious Jesus. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, we just want to give you all the praise and all the glory. We declare that you are good and your mercy endureth forevermore. Thank you for what you did in our life during the course of the week. Thank you for the fellowship of the brethren. We've gathered together today to hear from you and you alone. Spirit of the living God, we ask that you will unveil Christ again. Let him be glorified, let him be revealed. Let our minds be renewed. Let every yoke be destroyed. Let every burden be lifted up. And let the Lord Jesus be glorified. And everybody say a big amen. Amen, amen and amen. You're blessed. Please have your seat. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Look at your neighbor and say, God is good. Come on, come on. Say, God is good. Say, God is good. All right. Um, there will be a little bit of change this morning. I've asked someone in the house to come and speak to us for the first 30, 35 minutes and share the word of God. Amen. I'd like us to put our hands together and welcome Ebenezer. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Can you put your hands together? Come on. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. 
Thank you, Pastor, for this wonderful privilege to share the living word of God briefly with us. I don't take it for granted. Thank you, sir. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, we need you to understand the word of God. We need you to do your word. And we need you to bear fruit. For we are not sufficient to think of anything as being from ourselves. Our sufficiency is from you. Holy Spirit, I ask you this morning, reveal Jesus, reveal the word to our understanding and grant us the divine enablement to believe your word. To not go out from here empty-handed. To be blessed by your word. And to bear fruit. At the end of the day, it is your name that will be glorified in and through our lives. Thank you, Holy Spirit. For in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Everything that I'm going to say here is based on the teaching of our pastor on getting back to the ways of the Spirit. We all know that this year is our year by the, of, by the Spirit, says the Lord. Now, for, for me to be a blessing this morning to us, I have outlined the things that we are going to benefit from this brief exhortation. What is the way of the Spirit? For you to get back to the ways of the Spirit, you have to know and understand the way of the Spirit. You have to know what is the power of the Holy Spirit? What is the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit? How to enter the realm of the Holy Spirit? And finally, how to release the power of the Holy Spirit? If you know the way of the Spirit, you will know the power of the Holy Spirit. And for you to value the power of the Holy Spirit, you have to know the purpose of the power. You have to know how to enter into that power, into the realm of the Holy Spirit. And you have to release the power of the Holy Spirit to bless humanity. So first of all, what is the way of the Holy Spirit? From the teaching of the pastor, of our pastor, the way of the Holy Spirit is the word way. And when you talk about the word, you're talking about the character of God, the thoughts of God, and the methods 
the way he does things. That's sorry, excuse me. Hallelujah. Talking about the way of the Spirit, the thoughts of God. Please turn your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verse 8 to 9. Isaiah 55, verse 8 to 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Hallelujah. As we can see there, for we to know the way of the Spirit, you have to know the Word. By the Spirit means by the Word. By the Spirit means by the word, means the thoughts and the ways of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. We can see the, the proof that the word is the way of the spirit. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 3. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, that is the word, let there be light. And there was light. So what it means there. What I got from there, and Pastor made it clear to us that the Spirit didn't do anything until the Word came. So, that is to prove that by the Spirit means by the Word. The Spirit of God didn't do anything until the Word came. So, talking about the way of the Spirit is the same thing as the way of the Word. Now, how does that uh, relate to us believers? The Word of God connects us 
to the spirit and the power of God. The word of God connects us to the spirit and the, word, the power of God. When you know the word, you know power. When you speak the word, you speak power. The power of the Holy Spirit is a product of the ways and the thoughts of God, which is the word of God. So for we to understand the ways of the Spirit, we have to place value to the word of God. Jesus came to show us the thoughts and ways of God. Jesus is the word. Read John chapter 1 verse 14. The Bible says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we can put it this way. By the Spirit also means by Jesus Christ. So the way of the Spirit is the way of Jesus Christ. So if you want to go deeper in understanding the way of the Spirit, you have to know Jesus Christ. So when you know Jesus Christ, you know power. When you speak him, you speak power. The power of Jesus Christ is supreme. So the way of the Spirit is the way of Jesus Christ. And I believe that with this little explanation, we now know that for you to understand and flow in the way of the Spirit, you have to know Jesus. So let's see Matthew chapter 28 verse verse 18. So I'm going into the power of the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 28 Verse 18. The Bible says, And Jesus came to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So, which means that you cannot understand the power of the Holy Spirit without knowing Jesus. The Holy Spirit carries the power of Christ and he dwells in a believer. So, for we to really understand the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to be conscious of what we carry 
on the inside of us as a believer. That is why God wants us to know the exceeding greatness of his power through his spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 16 to 21. The Bible made us to understand that the, one of the reasons why God wants you to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation is so that we may come to the knowledge of knowing the exceeding greatness of his power. As we read in Matthew chapter 8, 28 verse 18, that this power has been given to Jesus Christ. The word exceeding means above all, above all. There is no comparison. It also means the power of the Holy Spirit. So talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, it is very clear that you cannot understand the power of the Holy Spirit if you don't understand the authority that you have in Christ Jesus. The Bible made us to understand that all authority has been given to Jesus in, from, uh, in heaven and on earth, and this authority we have in Christ Jesus. So for you to understand the power of the Holy Spirit, you have to be conscious of what you have in Christ Jesus. You have to pray daily that the Holy Spirit will enable you to understand the exceeding greatness of his power that, is, that abides in you. Hallelujah. Now, moving forward, I want to go into the purpose of this power. Because what it means, the value that you place on a thing is the problem it can solve. If the problem it can solve is not in line with your expectation, you don't value it. So for we to really have passion to understand the way of the Spirit, to know the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to know the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit so that we know if it is in line with our expectation. So from the teaching of pastor, and uh, this for me is why we are Christians. He said the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit is to be a witness, to represent Christ. Turn your Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We still read Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. It's clearly written in the scripture the purpose of this power. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I said the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit is to be a witness. But you shall receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. It's clear written. If you don't want to be a witness for Christ, it means that you're not interested in the power of the Holy Spirit. So the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit is to be a witness. Now, the question is, what does it mean to be a witness? What does it mean to be a witness? Turn to the book of Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. The Bible says, Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. To represent Christ, to be a witness for Christ means to be fishers of men. So if you are not interested in Fishing men, it means that you're not interested in the power of the Holy Spirit. You're not interested in the ways of God. What does it mean to be fishers of men? The pastor made it clear here that Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how to be fishers of men. He said, to be fishers of men, according to Acts chapter 10, verse 38, is, I'm quoting him, he said, doing good. Let me, let me read that scripture so that you understand this statement. He said, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Now he said, doing good there means enforcing the realities of redemption in the lives of men. That's what it means to be fishers of men. Enforcing the realities of redemption in the lives of men. Hallelujah. So we now know that the way of the Spirit is the way of the Word, and the Word is Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ, all power, his, his power is supreme to all powers. And if you want to flow in this power, you have to understand the purpose of the power. The purpose of the power is to be a witness, to be fishers of men, to go about doing good, enforcing the realities of redemption. Now, how, how can one enter into the realm of this power? Into the realm of this power. Number one, you must be born again. 
is non-negotiable. You must be born again because you can't be enemy of God and have access to his power. You must be born again for you to enter into the realm of this power. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 verse 19 that for if by one man's offense death enter to the one, he say, how much more those that receive Jesus Christ represents the grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life through the one Jesus. Which means that if you don't have Jesus, you cannot enter into the realm of this power, into the realm of the Holy Spirit. So you must be born again. You can read First John chapter 5, verse 11. And how can one be born again is in the book of Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That is the first step. Now, for you to, to enter and start operating in this realm, you must be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You must be baptized in the Holy Spirit. As we read in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it said, when the power of the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, you must be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So if you are not baptized in the Holy Spirit, you cannot function in this realm. Hallelujah. What does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Said is to be submerged in the Holy Spirit. And the pastor made it clear that to be baptized means to be baptized into the realm of the Holy Spirit, the realm of overcomers. Now, if you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, these are the things that you are given. Pastor listed them here. The power of the Holy Spirit is given to the believer to know his power, to relate with his power, and to release the power, the wisdom, and the power of God. If, if you come into this realm, you will start understanding the power of the Holy Spirit. You start relating with the power of the Holy Spirit and you start releasing the power of the Holy Spirit. So it is very important that you desire, if you are not baptized in the, in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, you have a lot of limitations. You, you cannot... You cannot maximize what we have in Christ Jesus. So it's very important that you know, if you want to enter and operate in this realm, number one, you have to be born again and you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So lastly, how to release this power? How to release the power of the Holy Spirit? know the way of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the purpose of this power, how to enter this power, then the lastly, how to release 
the power of the Holy Spirit. There are some connections that I made based on what Pastor taught. He said that under how to release this power, there are some things I believe that it is very necessary. First of all, as a believer, you have to know that you will always need the Holy Spirit. You always need him. You need him. You need the Holy Spirit to be born again. You need the Holy Spirit to live the life of Christ. You need the Holy Spirit to be able ministers. Second Corinthians chapter 3 verse 5. For we are not sufficient to think of anything as being from ourselves. Our sufficiency is from God. You have to know that the Holy Spirit is your helper. He is the spirit of truth. And he is our teacher. That is a position of humility. You have to know and believe that you can do nothing without him. I'm talking about how to release the power of the Holy Spirit. You have to come to a place of surrender. The Holy Spirit looks at your heart. He knows when it is by your strength and when it is by divine strength. You cannot deceive the Holy Spirit. So you have to come to a point of brokenness. You have to come to a point of surrender if you must release this power that you will always need him. There is no point that you will not need him. Hallelujah. Because he is our helper. He is the spirit of truth. The devil cannot deceive you when you're always receiving from him, when you're always obeying him, when you're always following him. He cannot deceive you because he's a spirit of truth. He's our teacher. Let's read this verse of Bible, John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 16. To 18. The Bible says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may, be, he may abide in, with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you and will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So, this is to tell you that he is your helper, you need him always. Now, taking that position is a position to now start releasing the power of the Holy Spirit. So the, the way I arrange it here, you know, in, in order of activity, 
How to release the Holy Spirit? Number one, praying in the Holy Spirit. Because you need him. Praying in the Holy Spirit. The Jude chapter 1 verse 20. When you pray in the Holy Spirit, you're taking the position that I need him. I cannot do it by myself. That position is a position of empowerment. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Secondly is preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel. Now, Jesus Christ did a lot of things. Just as Pastor listed, this, the areas Jesus demonstrated his power. Jesus demonstrated his power as a pattern. Now, one thing that I got there, Jesus did not de demonstrate that power in his house, staying in the, in the house. He demonstrated that power when he went out to preach the gospel. So, if you want to, if you want to uh, release the power in the area of where Jesus Christ uh, demonstrated his power, Number one, devil, demons, and operations of darkness. You must preach the gospel. You must go out there. Because it is in the field that you can release this power. To heal, to heal, you have to preach the gospel. You have to be with people to save or rescue. These are areas that Jesus Christ demonstrated his power as a pattern to us. So, if you, if you are not willing, if you don't have this hunger to go out there to preach the gospel, there is no way you can, you can release the power of God in these areas to supernaturally sustain over nature. The power of God can sustain the power of nature. These are the activities that, these are the areas we can release the power of God. But we cannot do that if you don't go out there to preach the gospel. So how to release the gospel? First of all, you have to know that you need him. Because God resists the proud and give more grace to the humble. So when you know that, you have to be willing and have this hunger to preach the gospel. To preach the gospel. Because you cannot demonstrate the power of God in this area, staying in your house. You have to go out there to meet people. Hallelujah. The third area is walking in love. Walking in love. Anything that you are doing that is outside walking in love, we are just wasting our time. You must have the revelation of what it means to walk in love. You have to have personal revelation from the Holy Spirit, what it means to walk in love. You have to die daily. You have to die daily. So when, when we walk in love, we walk in power. One of the ways to release the power of God is to walk in love. 
Hallelujah. So I believe that with this brief exhortation, we're able to know what it means, what is the way of the Spirit, to know the purpose, to know the power of the Holy Spirit, to know the purpose of the, of the power of the Holy Spirit, how to enter into the realm of the Holy Spirit, and how to release the power of the Holy Spirit. As we give ourselves, the word of God is not theory. The word of God is given to us to practice it. What you don't practice, you don't know. The knowledge you know is the one you practice. Because it, it will not be read to you until you do it. So for, for what aids our belief system is to do the word. Because when you do the word, you have evidences. Because the word of God can never fail. If you're somebody that is afraid and you receive a word from God concerning an area and you stand on that word until that word be, be, becomes your result in that area, it will kill every fear in that area. So the word of God is given to us to practice. So I believe that as we give ourselves to hearing and doing the word of God, we will always be bearing fruit in every area of our life. Hallelujah. May God bless his word in our hearts in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Can we put our hands together? Amen. At least you didn't preach, so clap for the one that preached. Amen. I said amen and amen. Hallelujah. I'm excited that someone gets the message. You know, sometimes when you preach as a pastor, one of your prayer and desire that everybody will get what you're saying. But I was excited because he took the series, broke it down from where I started it, gave it in form like an outline, and began to teach it from one principle to another principle till where we are. So God bless you for that. Thank you so much for that. Praise the name of the Lord. You know, everything he said is what the Bible called the spirit-empowered life. Say what me say, the spirit-empowered life. You've been born again to live a spirit-empowered life. You're not ordinary. You are a people of power and strength. Say with me, say, I'm a person of power and strength. Say, the spirit of God lives on the inside of me. Say, I am not ordinary. Say, I carry God on the inside of me. <clears throat> Say, I carry God on the inside of me. See, when God looks at you, he sees himself. And one of the things you need to understand is to make the migration or the shift from looking at you from you and start looking at you from him. That's why he gave us the words. The Bible describes the word of God as a mirror. 
when I behold the world, I'm supposed to see who I truly am. When you look out there, you will not see yourself. And that's why the, the most powerful thing that God has given to the saints of God is the born-again life. To be born again is to be born into the realm of God, the realm of his power, the realm of his wisdom. Uh, I, I said to you that the spirit-empowered life is a wisdom and power life. Is that not so? All right. And I'm not going to preach too much. I just want to say one or two things and uh, I'll be done. I told you there are two reasons why believers don't live the spirit-empowered life. Do you remember? What is the first one? Ignorance. Everybody say ignorance. ignorance. What is ignorance? Hmm? Lack of the appropriate knowledge to function. Ignorance simply means you don't know. You don't have the knowledge. And, and we saw from the book of Psalm 82, it says from verse 5, they do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. I said you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. I said when we are ignorant of who we are and what we carry, we will be unable to function as we should. We'll be living a fake life. Ask your neighbor, are you living a fake life? A fake life is a powerless life. A fake life is an opinion-driven life. A fake life is a life that is controlled by the senses and what goes on in the earth realm. You've been called to live a better life. Hallelujah. All right, we said the only cure for ignorance is what? What is it? Knowledge. Only cure. The only way to deal with ignorance is to get knowledge, and which means you have to be committed to the hearing, study, and what? Meditation of the word. If your word culture is poor, you're going to stay ignorant. And Satan gets the advantage over the life of a believer that is ignorant. He said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. What you don't know, you become a victim of. So we need to know. We need to know what God says in his word about the spirit empowered life. Say amen. We also said for our crave or our desire to know to be productive, it has to be backed with prayer. Is that not true? Yeah. It has to be backed with prayer. It's not enough to want to know. There are spiritual realities, forces that are fighting to maintain a status of ignorance in your life. So if you don't pray, just the willingness and the desire to know is not enough. So I said in Colossians 1.9, Paul says, uh, for this cause, we cease not to desire and to pray. We cease not to desire and to pray. So in the place of prayer, you push your desire to know. And in Colossians 1, I says, I pray that we be filled with the knowledge of his will. Say good amen. amen. All right. I say you must also realize that the word of God is your sustenance. 
Just like you can't do without food. Some of you, if you don't eat today, something is wrong. You'll be feeling, see, I'm seeing things. No. Just as your physical food is important to you, and you don't need anybody to remind you, your spiritual sustenance is also very important, and it comes from God's word. Amen. Amen. And uh, I think the last thing I said there was, it is important to know that ignorance is a choice. Look at the neighbor and say, ignorance is a choice. To not know is a choice. To know is a choice. Hallelujah. All right. The second one I said is what? Unbelief. And uh, I think we read Hebrew 3 verse 12. He said, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. We said unbelief is an evil heart. The word heart means mind. Why is it evil? Because it's harmful. It has the intent to ruin. That's what unbelief does. And unbelief is a mindset. I, I went through all that. You can go over the message. But the point I want you to understand is this, that the mentality uh, of unbelief is a satanic mentality that is intended to make us rebel or revolt against God's word. And it attacks on both um, your, your, your will, it seeks to corrupt your passion so that you are disconnected from what God has instructed us to operate by. We said that unbelief is the presence of a mindset that makes us revolt to the knowledge of God. It makes us depart from the reality that we've been born into in Christ. Now, um, we said unbelief manifests in different forms. Is that not true? Yeah. You know, unbelief manifests in different forms. The first one we looked at is fear and doubt. Fear and doubt. Um, I think we read Matthew 14, 30 and 31, where Jesus told Peter, come. And as Peter was going to Christ, the wind was, you know, was going violent. Everything was turbulent on the left and the right. But as long as he kept his focus on Christ, he walked on water until he turned. So what unbelief wants you to do is turn. Did you hear what I said? Turn. Unbelief doesn't mean the absence of knowledge. Unbelief means you are in the presence of it, but it will seek to make you turn from it. So when Peter shifted his mind, I mean his eyes from Jesus and began to look at the storm, what happened to him? He started sinking. All right? And that's what unbelief does. That, um, we said unbelief made Peter depart from the word that Christ gave him. It is unbelief that makes the world look powerless in our life. It's unbelief that makes us have more questions than trust or confidence in what God has said. All right? And um, we said, uh, let me read that again. Unbelief made Peter depart from the word that Christ gave him to walk on water. The point of entry for unbelief was when his focus shifted from Christ 
to the storm. If you keep your eyes on the storm, you will begin to doubt God and you will fear. If you keep your eyes on people's opinion, you will begin to get second idea. Are you hearing me? Doubt means you know the truth. But for some reasons, you've started doubting the truth. Are you hearing me? That's the job of unbelief. It will make you turn from the truth. And, and Peter's point, the entry point for unbelief for Peter was when his focus shifted from Christ to the storm. And he began to reason outside what he was told. Unbelief made Peter panicked and doubted, and hence he sank. Now, another form of unbelief which I mentioned was spiritual slumber. Everybody says spiritual slumber. I'm not hearing everybody. Say it against his spiritual slumber. It is on when it, I think it was when I started meditating on it, it dawned on me that spiritual slumber is a form of unbelief. Because what unbelief does is to make you revolt from God's word. All right? Many are not the spirit empowered life because they are spiritually asleep. Unbelief makes one of the ways it manifests in the life of those who don't deal with it is that it will make you spiritually asleep. Now, spiritual slumber is a form of unbelief. It makes the believer to rebel or revolt against the spirit-empowered life. Turn your Bible to Romans 13, verse 11 to verse 14. Romans 13, verse 11 to 14. Paul says, be careful, lest there be in any of you an evil. Be careful. Romans 13, verse 11 to 14. What does the Bible say? It says, I'm reading from New King James Version, and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to what? To awake out of sleep. To awake out of what? Out of sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Now, how many of you know he's writing to Christians? He's writing to Christians. He's writing to the Christians that were in Rome. So he wasn't talking to unbelievers. He's talking to them and says, hey, those of you who are sleeping, wake up. Now, look at what he said. He says, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. All right? Are we there? Let us walk properly as in the day, not in reverie, and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, nor in strife and envy, but, verse 14, but what? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. You see, because they were asleep spiritually, all these factors were playing in their life. Now, um, spiritual slumber 
makes us asleep to who we are in Christ. If you know how who you are threatens the devil and the oppressions of darkness, you will never take it lightly. You are supposed to be daily conscious of the indwelling Christ and the power that has been given to you in him. Because the devil knows that his defeat and powerlessness in your life is your Christ-given identity. Now, spiritual slumber makes us asleep to who we are in Christ. We downplay it. I'm, 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 I'm the head and not the tail. What, what, what has that done for me? My life is tail, not head. That's unbelief. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, and I'm being oppressed. Whenever you are tempted to question the word of God, unbelief is at play in your life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Whenever you begin to play down on the scripture, you begin to play down on what God's word says about you, and you begin to treat it as if it's a common thing, unbelief is at play. All right? Now, spiritual slumber makes us asleep to who we are in Christ, and as a result, we begin to make provision for the flesh or carnality to fulfill its lust or craving. Spiritual slumber makes room for the works of darkness because we are not functioning in the light. Offense is usually an indication of spiritual slumber. Whenever we operate in offense, strife, division, it shows we are sleeping. Now, um, let me round up by looking at, before I define spiritual slumber, let me look at some symptoms of spiritual slumber. It's an unbelief, it's a mindset. It has its characteristics. How do you know that you are a victim of this unbelief manifestation in form of spiritual slumber? Let me make some very strong statement about this. You can write it down to help you. Spiritual slumber is a manifestation of unbelief. You know that. The core mission of unbelief is to cause the heart to depart from the living God, to stop trusting God's word, to question it. Spiritual slumber makes you exalt your experience above what God has said. And spiritual slumber is an assault by Satan with the aim to reduce the effectiveness of believers in their dealings with God and life. Are you hearing me? I said spiritual slumber is a global crisis in the body of Christ. It attacks almost every church. There is no church that is exempted from it. The question is, are you going to be a victim or are you going to resist it? Now, I, I used the term, I think I, I taught this some time ago. I said spiritual slumber is a covert assassin. You know what they call it covert assassin? Something you don't see. It hides behind, uh, behind um, view. And gradually, you just find this... this um, this tendency to begin to doubt what God said. God gives you a vision or a prophecy. You don't believe it. You start questioning it. And what is going on in your life seems to be more stronger 
and weightier than what God is saying. The reason is because unbelief is beginning to have the say. All right? A covert assassin is someone who kills without being noticed. Across the world in global espionage, when they want to take out important figures who they feel is a threat, they send a covert assassin. You may not even know who the person is. It may just be somebody that is giving water or somebody that is giving food or somebody that will just hit you. By hitting you, they'll pass something to the person's body. And before the person realizes, everything in the system will start paralyzing and he falls down and he dies. All right? That's what spiritual slumber does. Its job is to take out the spiritual effectiveness and relevance of the believer who allows it to set in. Say amen. amen. Now, before I define spiritual slumber, let me list the symptoms. There are scriptural identifiable symptoms of spiritual slumber. And if any of these are playing out in your life, hey, trust me, you are sleeping spiritually. Number one, dullness of hearing. Say with me, say dullness of hearing. Acts 28, verse 27. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing. Their ears are what? Dull of hearing. One of the indications that you are spiritually asleep is that you become dull of hearing. The word of God is not getting true to you anymore. You can sit in a message and you just disconnect. You sit in a service, the word of God has been preached, your mind has gone to Abba. Your mind has traveled to the family. Your mind has gone to job. Your mind has gone to the things you're going to do after church. And hear me, brothers and sisters, when it becomes too frequent in your life, is a sign that you are spiritually asleep. Or the word of God is being preached and uh, I am talking. So what you're just seeing is my mouth is doing like this. But you're not hearing anything. It's called dullness of hearing. Hebrew chapter 5 verse 11 says, of Paul was telling them, I have so much to teach you. Of whom we have many things to say and had to be altered. Seeing you are dull of hearing. When you are spiritually asleep, you become dull of what? You become what? Become dull of hearing. Number two, hardness of heart. You determine the state of your heart by what you allow. If your heart is hard, it's because you allowed it to become hard. When, when, we're, when, when, when a believer is a victim of spiritual slumber, there's what is called the hardness of the heart. Their heart become callous because they are more interested in their agenda and what they want than experiencing a divine transformation from God. They, they now come to, to God demanding what they want God to do, not what God wants to do in their life. The Bible calls them itching ear. They tell God what they want. They'll say, God, you know what? Do this for me, but don't change me. Just leave me the way I am. So they resist 
any transformational change that the Holy Spirit wants to bring in their life. That's why you see such people, they may be in church for 10 years, their anger level never changes. They may be in church for uh, 10 years, they still have problems with stubbornness. They may be in church for 10 years, they still have issues with pride. They may be in church for 10 years, but you don't see any evidential change that shows that they've been beholding Christ for 10 years. It's called hardness of heart. And be very careful. It, it's a religious thing. That unbelief will create a religious attitude in you where you just belong to something, but there is no testimony of it in your very life. Is somebody getting me? In the book of um, Mark 3, 5, and when he had looked round about on them with anger, Mark 3, 5, being grieved for the hardness of it. One of the challenges Jesus had with teaching the word was that he couldn't get across to people who had hardened their heart. He couldn't get to them. There's a guy that had his um, a withered hand and he wanted to heal the man. And the people were, they were watching him whether he would do something. All the message he had preached, he didn't get to them. They wanted to find out if he will heal this man or will leave the man alone. And Jesus just looked at them. Look at what he said. And when he had looked around at them with anger, what was he angry about? About the hardness of their heart. Being grieved by what? That's a stubborn heart. These are the Tell them what God says. They will stay the same way. Their anger, their temper is more important to them than what God says. You're telling God says change. You say, which change? When people's hearts are hard, they resist what God is telling them. When you tell them, hey, this is not the right way, they'll say, I hear. They'll still go ahead and do what they want to do. Have you seen people, you tell them, hey, this thing you're doing, this way you're going, it's not the way. Change. They will tell you, thank you. Have you seen people like that? You would think they heard you. They'll say, thank you, pastor. God bless you for talking to me. The moment they leave you, they will go back and do the very thing that you're trying to counsel them against. It's called hardness of heart. What happened to that believer is that unbelief has started reconfiguring your heart gradually and is making it hardened to the word of God. Hallelujah. Number three. See, the progression, dullness of, because when you become dull in hearing, your heart becomes hardened. Then number three, it's a progression. I need you to see the progression. Once you become, you know, you know that, that the dullness of hearing, you just stay in church, you're not connecting anymore. You're just, hey, amen, hallelujah, you're following what's going on. But, but you are spiritually disconnecting. And it leads to the third one called spiritual numbness. You become numb. You know what it means to be numb? When someone is numb physically, it means he doesn't feel anything anymore. But have you ever maybe sat or slept in one position for a very long time? Yeah. Huh? Has it happened to you? Then when you wake up, it's as if you're not feeling your hand. That's numbness. All right? There's a spiritual angle to that. When you become spiritual, that means you have lost your sensitivity to the spirit. Even, even if the Holy Ghost is talking to you, you won't listen. You can come into a place, 
You're not sensing anymore. Everything to you is full-blown carnal. Let, let me show you. Listen to what. Um, they are not connecting and flowing with God. They can be in a service and the praise and worship is going on. They don't flow. The word of God is being taught. They don't flow. The flow is no longer there. Everything has become artificial. Everything becomes boring and a routine. They become spiritually insensitive. They become what? Spiritually. But to carnality, if it's their favorite show, all their eyes, everything will just wake up. Are you understanding what I'm saying? They, they can be in church and waiting for a particular program that they like or something they want to do that they want to get involved with. When it comes to, when it comes to that, you see them alive. Have you ever wondered when you see someone or a sister or a brother comes to church, it's very quiet, you know, doesn't make noise, just takes everything cool. Then, for some reasons, you were passing the neighborhood of this brother or sister. Then you now saw the person talking. In fact, as the person was demonstrating, everybody was like, hey, and you heard the voice, the way the person was shouting and screaming and talking. Then, first of all, you will clean your eyes. Ah, is this not uh, this person I saw? The next Sunday service comes again. And how are you? God bless you. You see, I lie. It is spiritual slumber that makes us play hypocrisy to spiritual things. You become spiritually numb. You become spiritually insensitive. You have no more, your, your spiritual radar goes off. You can't sense anything anymore. Nothing. They cannot tell the difference between anointed and what is not anointed. They don't know anymore. They can't say, no, this is not anointed. No. They become victim of every wind of doctrine. All of a sudden, the word of God now becomes a tool for them to use as a weapon to either propagate their opinion or to criticize and attack everybody. That's a sign that you're spiritually numb. You start making, cursing men of God, useless church, everybody, men of God are eating people's money, Chopping money, churches all over the that's you lack perception. So there is no longer reverence in your utterance, in your perception, and in your dealing. Listen to this. Everything and every move is now on the reasoning level. No interest to pray, read their Bible, fast, and talk to someone. They, they will lose appetite for all those things. They don't come for prayer meeting. Prayer meeting. Ah, from what am I coming to pray? I'm busy. Then another thing that will shock you is that they become, they lack spiritual vision. They become spiritually dazed and faced. Have you seen somebody that looks dazed? That, that's what they become. They are spiritually dazed and faced. Isaiah 59 verse 10 says, we grope for the world like the blind. And we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as in the night, and we are in desolate places as dead men. 
has a very good picture of someone who is spiritually numb. He walks in the day as if he's walking in the night. His steps are out of sync and balance. Holy Ghost say go left, he will go right. Holy Ghost say stop, he will keep moving. That means you've lost coordination with the Holy Ghost. Number four, once you become dull of hearing, your heart becomes hardened and spiritual numbness sets in, the next thing that happens is that you start having what they call reduced spiritual participation in church or church activity. It starts. It's a progression. Once you're dull of hearing, your heart becomes hardened, you become spiritually numb. The fourth one setting is called reduce spiritual participation in church. When a believer begins to reduce his participation in church activity, it's an indication that spiritual slumber has set in. Their excuses for not coming to church become very frequent. Even if there is no excuse, they will create one. Church attendance is commanded in scripture. Hebrews 10, 25 says, forsake not the assembling of yourself. Because the fellowship of the brethren is where we are planted, we are taught, established in the faith, and equipped to go out and make disciples. Say amen. amen. All right. Then, once you notice reduced church activity, the fifth one follows. It's, the Holy Ghost gave me all this. Avoiding the fellowship of the brethren. They begin to restrict their presence among the fellowship of the brethren. You hardly see them. They eventually stop coming to church because they've lost their spiritual interest and drive. Sometimes they will, be, they will lie that God is leading them somewhere, but it's not God leading them anywhere. But the truth is that they have lost their spiritual drive. They don't want to undergo stewardship. They don't like humility anymore. Submission is repugnant to them. In fact, when, when you mention submission, say you want to control me. All right? And discipline, they don't like it. When you discipline a believer who is spiritually asleep, it takes it as an offense. It takes it personal. But scriptural discipline is to help you effective, help you to become more effective. But they take it as an offense. All right? They will often interpret attempts to follow up on them as disturbing them. So sometimes when you call them, they'll switch off their phone. Or sometimes when you call them, they will let the phone ring. It will ring and ring and ring, and they will not return the call. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Then it will degenerate to they'll fall in love with the word. They'll begin to love the word and the things that are in the world. Paul made a comment about a guy that was with him. I think later he reconciled. His name is Demas. Demas was one of the people that followed Paul. But after, after a time, Demas began to grow weary. There are certain things you must continue to do in your faith to keep the fire alive. If you stop them, very soon you begin to grow tired on God. Demas was a disciple that walked with Paul for a while. And let me say this to you. The word system is very attractive. Oh, it's very, very attractive. It, it, it is embellished with all kinds of attraction. 
But what you don't understand is those attractions are illusions. They are not real. They will offer you fame. They will offer you popularity. In the world today, you are considered to be somebody if you, are, if you have possessions, you have name, you have connection, and you have all that. But, but what people don't understand is that you can have every or that and still be miserable. The Bible says, what shall it profit a man? If you want. And loses his soul. The most important wealth is relationship with God. Did you hear what I said? What is the most important wealth? If you don't know God, you are poor in spirit. You're poor. You can have all the money in the world, but you will not know peace. Have you not known there are some people, they have AC, but they're still sweating inside the AC? You don't know people like that? No peace. They're in a car. So when you judge people by the kind of car they ride, that's a little bit parochial. It's, it's, it shows you don't have understanding. Trying to rate, and there are people, in order to meet up the image factor, they try to project an image that they are high-class women, high-class mother, high-class babe, high-class men. All these are insecurity tags people put on themselves to try to feel important. You think the air you wear will make you feel important? The clothes you wear, the wristwatch you wear, the car you drive, and where you go. If that is what will make you feel important, brothers and sisters, you've missed it. God did not give us things to make us look important. God gave us things to serve his purpose. But once you lose your spiritual perception and focus, you begin to pay attention to the things that were meant to assist you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You better, there, there were certain things I taught myself early not to get attached to. I deliberately taught myself that, not to get at that. Because if you get attached to things, it will become a point of entry for unbelief. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Hear me. Demas, first, 2 Timothy 4.10. Can you go there? 2 Timothy 4.10. Demas was a disciple who used to pray with Paul. Who used to do ministry with Paul? Who used to go around preaching the gospel with Paul? Who used to minister to the sick? Who used to be a blessing? Who was one time known in the church? But after a while, Demas pulled back. Spiritual slumber set into Demas, and Demas began to lose his spiritual compass. What did he say? Can we read it together? What did he say? For Demas, I'm not hearing you. Having Have you seen people who used to be excited about Jesus, then all of a sudden, whenever you talk about Jesus, they don't want to hear. Have you seen people like that? They were once excited about Jesus, but once you just call Jesus now, their face will change. Or they will look for a reason to stop the discussion and walk away. Have, have you noticed people like that? It's because of spiritual slumber. They become, they are, they are tired out of spirit. Anything Bible irritates them. They will not say it out, oh, but unbelief of spiritual slumber is gradually causing their heart to depart from who? The living God. Unbelief wants you to stop trusting God and, stop tr and start trusting men and what you can do with your strength. No. Hallelujah. Yeah. Now, see the progression of spiritual slumber? 
Number one, dullness of hearing. When you start becoming dull, you start losing your interest in hearing God's word, it will not slip towards hardness of heart. From hardness of heart, you have what? Spiritual knobness. You become knob in your, spiritually. You start losing your spiritual sensitivity. You're not spiritual perceptive anymore. Then from there, it now affects your participation in the house of God. You now have reduced spiritual participation. When they declare prayer meeting, you don't have time. When they say, let us go out for evangelism, you don't have time. You will always look for an excuse not to participate in spiritual things. And one of the signs that you are spiritually healthy is participation in spiritual activity. Is that not true? You know, they say characteristic of living things. What is characteristic? It is a sign that something is living. When the thing displays this characteristic, it shows it is living. If you are spiritually active, you're going to be spiritually active in participating in spiritual things. But when it starts reducing, it's because spiritual slumber has started what? Setting in. Are you hearing me? Then from there, you start, what do you do? You avoid what? You avoid fellowship with the brethren. You start dodging. They see you once in four weeks, once in two months. You, you can give a good reason for it. You can give a good reason for it. You know, not all reasons are sinful. How many of you know that? No, 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 no. Because there are two things we deal with. Bible says lay aside every weight and the sin that easily beset us. Some things may not be sinful, but they may be weight. Because weight simply means anything that reduces your speed. And doesn't make you run and walk at the pace that you're supposed to walk. Then we said from there, the person would descend into loving the word. Once you are spiritually slave, your passion, you become in love with the things of the word. You lose focus and purpose why God has given us things and you start looking for them. The Bible calls it the love of money. What you believe that um, your reason for working is to make money. Money is everything you want to make. And, and once that motivation enters your heart, you're a victim of mammon. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And number seven, once you began to love the world, you start faking spiritually. Everybody says spiritual fakeness. They start faking. No power anymore. They fake, 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 fake. There's no power in their life. There's no power in their testimony. There's no power. They just fake. Hey, all right, brother, God bless you. How are you? You know, they, they start faking. They, they know the language, okay? They know the lyrics. They, they know the smile. They can give you the smile, but it's not coming from a place of rest or power. They know the smile, and they, they know the moves, but on the inside, they are empty. Empty and spiritual. No spiritual content. They have no weight or credibility in the spirit anymore. No, absolutely no. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 27, he told the Pharisees, he said, you whitewash sepulchre. You, you put a front to people as people that are spiritually sound, but deep in your heart, you're full of dead bones. No more spirit. You, you are now walking in the flesh, camouflaging it as in the spirit. That's called spiritual fakeness. And that's one of the manifestations of spiritual slumber. Um, 
From spiritual fakeness, you now enter what the Bible calls rebellion. Everybody say rebellion. I'm not here to say rebellion. You know, you know what rebellion is? Rebellion is that state you become unruly and disobedient to spiritual authority. You now enter, rebellion is actually the stubbornness phase. You don't care what anybody says anymore. You don't care what any, when they are telling you something, you say, I hear, I hear, it's okay, thank you. But it doesn't get into your heart anymore. You have lost respect for the word. You've lost respect for what God is saying. Even when you are being spoke to or rebuked or whatever it is, you don't want to hear. Your heart has changed. Rebellion is one of the manifestations of spiritual slumber. Hallelujah. When someone gets into this phase, they become unruly and disobedient of spiritual authority. The wisdom that is earthly and demonic starts working in their life. They start complaining about people and church. They complain about authority. Then they, they start affecting people around church. They start poisoning people's mind. So you see, you see what pastor is doing? You see what this person is doing? You see what they are doing? See, notice they don't, they don't like me taking song anymore. They don't like me taking the lead part. You see, remember we went for that to that meeting? It's always, that one is always talking, you know. It doesn't want even hear anybody. Everything becomes political. Once you start becoming political, it shows you've lost your spiritual edge. No humility anymore. Everything is taken personal. And if you don't have your way anymore, you get angry. It's called rebellion. Hallelujah. Then number nine, from rebellion, you become a victim of bitterness. You become bitter. You become what? You become what? You become bitter. And when you are bitter, you'll be having issues with strife, with envy, and with division. You become easily and frequently irritated. You become unforgiving and revengeful. The Bible says in James 3, 14 and 15, if you have bitter envy and strife in your heart, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom, this behavior is not from heaven, not from above. It is earthly, sensual, and satanic. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. And finally, spiritual slumber will bring, okay, number 10, actually number 11, two more. You will now start struggling. You, you start justifying sin in your life. You start justifying living in iniquity. You know, they start using the liberty they have in Christ to justify living in sin. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 34, I wake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not this knowledge of God. And I speak this to your shame. One of the challenges Paul had in the Corinthian church were people who were flowing with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongue, having manifestation of the Spirit, but they were living in full-blown sin. Look at first, uh, second, um, second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21. Can you go there? Second Corinthians chapter 12, 
verse 21. When, when, we, when we are spiritually asleep, we start playing with sin. We start trying to justify living in sin. The Bible says do not use your liberty as a cloak for the flesh. But that's what we start doing. Are we there? What did Paul say? He said, Let, is, I hope you know this is talking to Christians. This is not unbelievers, so Christians. He said, lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have what? Sin before. Not only have they sinned, but have not repented. Why would make them not? Because they are in rebellion. Repented of what? Of uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. When you see a believer, there's one thing to fall into sin. There's another thing to live inside it. That's a sign that that believer is spiritually asleep. And finally, are we there? Spiritual slumber will produce what I call spiritual ineffectiveness. You become spiritually useless. Your spirituality has no testimony. Your spirituality has no power. Your spirit, you, you're just like somebody that is just going through the motion. You become spiritually ineffective. No testimony. No testimony. No power. No glory. And let me say this. If you are comfortable in being spiritually asleep, it's a dangerous state. So Paul says, wake, wake up. The night has been spent. It's time for us to wake up. It's enough. Hallelujah. Rise up on your feet. Glory be to God. Thank you for joining us today. Your generosity helps us to take this message to the ends of the earth. You can give on our website at www.therefugehc.org. So go ahead and click on the link in the description. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this.